You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. School of Humans. Hello, filth heads. Just so you know, this episode does include an incident of sexual violence. So just a heads up if you're a sensitive listener. On July 24th, 1884... A story appeared in the Buffalo Evening Telegram in Buffalo, New York. The story was about the current governor of New York, who was the former mayor of Buffalo and a former sheriff of Erie County. And it's 1884, which is an election year. And this dude, this governor, he was running for president. He was known as Grover the Good, which will be very ironic, as you'll see. His real name was Stephen Cleveland, which just sounds kind of silly, Stephen Cleveland. But you probably know him best as America's 22nd and 24th president, Grover Cleveland. Grover was his middle name, so he decided to go by that instead of Steve Cleave. He easily became the candidate for the Democratic Party in 1884, but the presidential win wasn't going to be as easy to come by. Because this story, published in his hometown newspaper, it wasn't about the campaign. It was, however, a smear to his name and created a scandal that would dominate the headlines for quite some time, almost costing him that seat in the Oval Office. Because, you know, the Oval Office, it's never been occupied by bad people. (laughs) The story involved a bastard child and revealed some very dark secrets from Cleveland's past. This wasn't any usual I'm not the father routine. This was different because there was a level of depravity in his treatment of the mother that had never been seen before. Cue the theme song. (laughs) 
This is American Filth, and I'm Gabby Watts. Every week, I tell you a filthy story from American history. This week's episode, Gross Grover. So here's what happened. We're going to about a decade before the election. In 1873, a woman named Maria Halpin was working as a clerk in a department store in Buffalo, New York. After growing up in rural Pennsylvania, she married, moved to Jersey City, and had two children before her husband died. But then she left her two children with her grandparents and moved to bustling Buffalo to try and earn a better living. She found a room in an all-women's boarding house and took a job as a collar maker for the Flint and Kent department store. There, she was quickly promoted into the dry goods department, a huge upgrade apparently, and eventually became the manager of the cloak department. Yes, that was very serious business in the 1870s, cloaks. Maria, also sometimes called Mary, was as beautiful as she was strong, intelligent, and resilient. She spoke French and was exceptionally well-mannered, hence all of her promotions and making it to the cloaks. It was there on the showroom floor where Maria Halpin first came across a husky young lawyer and former sheriff of Erie County named Grover Cleveland. And he instantly thought she was a hottie with a body. But when she saw Grover Cleveland, she was kind of like, don't like that one. And literally what she did say about him, and I quote, was that he had an off-putting zeal. Maria wasn't interested in this chubby and chubbed up Cleveland at all. And I'm going to be honest, Grover didn't look too hot. He was a pretty stout guy with a big old beer belly, and he had this long, flabby face and one of those dusty mustaches that looked like a squirrel died on his upper lip. But unfortunately for Maria, after their initial interaction in the cloak department, he aggressively pursued her for months. Coming to her work every day and flirting with her relentlessly, he wanted her bad. But she was pretty whatevs about him. You know, maybe a bit flattered by his attention, but nothing more. But then, on one cold December night, on her way to a friend's birthday party, Maria runs into Grover on the street. (laughs) How convenient. He's like, wow, so random to see you here. She's like, okay, whatever, Grover. And then he was like, you must join me for dinner. And she's just like, I don't really want to, Grover. But then he keeps persisting and persisting until finally she's like, fine, I will eat dinner with you. Oh, my God. Just quit your pathetic begging. Wow, doesn't Grover got the moves? He's like, yeah, I'll just keep harassing women until they agree to go on a date with me. What a guy. Anyway, they go out to dinner at the Ocean Dining Hall and Oyster House. Ooh, doesn't that sound fancy? Oysters, aphrodisiacs, wow, balls of mucus, yum. And Maria would later say that she actually did have a good time at the dinner. She was giving him a chance. But then what happens after the dinner? Well, it's really freaking bad. 
He takes her back to the boarding house where she was living at the time and all but forces himself inside her room and then inside her body. And the thing is, he must have known that it was less than consensual because as he buckles up his trousers, he says that if she goes to the police or anyone of authority, he will be sure to ruin her. And that's not an empty threat because again, he was the former sheriff and had lots of ties to law enforcement. Anyone that could do anything about this man's disgusting behavior would certainly believe his word over hers. So Maria, with no other option, stays quiet, suffers in silence, except for telling Grover to fuck off and that she never wants to see him again. Unfortunately, she had to go back on her word because six weeks later, her period never came. And she was like, gosh, dang it. I'm freaking storked up. And it's Grover's. Ugh. She ends up telling Grover what's up and carries the baby to term. She eventually gives birth in the only hospital for unwed mothers in all of upstate New York. After she gives birth, she and Grover named the baby Oscar Folsom Cleveland. Oscar Folsom was the name of Grover Cleveland's best friend. He was a lawyer and had recently died in an accident. But Grover Cleveland didn't come up to the hospital just to name a baby. Maria barely has a chance to bond with her newborn baby boy before he's taken away from her in the middle of the night. And the next day, Maria finds herself placed, well, more like forced into an asylum called the Providence Lunatic Asylum in Rhode Island. Alone and confused, Maria insists that her son has been taken from her against her will and that all of her marbles are in fact quite intact. Soon she figures out this was all Cleveland's doing, his intention to silence and punish her. She's not the one who needs to be punished, obviously. But Grover... He thinks that this baby might delegitimize any claims she might make against him. Also, now or in the future, he's a man of political stature, so he might want to run for office one day. And a bastard, not a good look. Luckily for Maria, the doctors at the asylum assess her and are like, um, you don't belong here. So she's released and immediately starts looking for her son. She hires a Buffalo attorney named Milo A. Whitney to help her track him down and get him back. Outraged, she charges Grover the Good with assault and abduction. Her brother comes up from New Jersey to help out with the case. And with great haste, like days later, which was very fast back then, she receives an offer from Grover's people. They're like, here's $500. In exchange for this sum, you are to relinquish any custodial rights and drop the matter entirely. And honestly, $500 seems pretty rude. Like, it doesn't seem like it's enough hush money. In today's money, it'd be like 13 grand or so. But the thing is, Maria, she doesn't have any proper funds or connections. She can't actually fight him in court, so she accepts the deal. Now let's cut to 10 years later. Cleveland is making his run for the White House and reporters come knocking on Maria Halpin's door asking for her side of the story about the accusations being made 
about the potential future president. And Maria, well, she's got something to say about Grover the Good. We'll be right back after these soothing advertisements. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. On July 8, 1884, Democratic Party delegates gathered to nominate a candidate for president. Grover Cleveland was extremely well-liked at this point. Still fairly new to the political spotlight, he had been extremely successful as the governor of New York. He was known for fighting the corruption of Tammany Hall, and he was the obvious choice for the candidacy. He also had a strong chance of winning the popular vote because the Republican candidate was James G. Blaine, former House Speaker, Senator from Maine, and Secretary of State. So yeah, the two candidates, we got Steve Cleave, and then we got Blaine from Maine. So let's watch as Tweedledee and Tweedledum battle it out on the debate stage. Grover's campaign came up with clever slogans that sounded like kids on a playground, One of them was Blaine, Blaine, James G. Blaine, the continental liar from the state of Maine. (laughs) Oh, sick burn, guys. Good diss. Blaine was not expected to get very far in his run for the presidency because obviously his opponents were so good at insults, but also because of his own scandals. 
He had been accused of accepting bribes while in office, trading political favors for cash, and was an overall tactless politician that didn't hold a candle to Grover the Good. Folks saw Cleveland as a wholesome problem solver. The platform he ran on involved challenging corrupt and powerful businesses and basically taking action against them. But that moral, clean, and clear reputation was about to be shat upon. Steve Cleave is going to be drug in the mud. A few days after the convention confirmed his candidacy, that article was published in the Buffalo Evening Telegraph. The headline read, A Terrible Tale, A Dark Chapter in a Public Man's History. It explained that Cleveland was the father to an illegitimate child and that he'd paid off the mother for her silence. The Republican campaign was overjoyed that they had something, anything on this guy. And the response from Cleveland's campaign was underwhelming to say the least. He was really blasé about it. He was like, yeah, well, we had an illicit relationship, so what? After all, even while he was running for president, Grover was a bachelor. He was unmarried. And he was like, yeah, Maria Halpin, she was free with her affections, a.k.a. calling her a slut. He also said that she had a drinking problem and that obscured her better judgment. So basically, Cleveland and his fixers were like, Halpin, she's so promiscuous. And then they painted Grover as this guy who did the right thing in a sticky situation. Even though he wasn't 100% sure that he was the father, he helped a poor woman out of a hard time. He found a safe and loving household for the boy to be raised in. Anyway, the papers ran the story with Grover's defense, And his truth-telling was lauded by his supporters. The quote from the lion's mouth that was so often repeated to prove his piety was, whatever you do, tell the truth. Of course, prominent men in politics rushed to Cleveland's defense, saying, you know, if the kid was his, he was just a young man who made a mistake, a folly, nothing more. Because, yeah, he was so young at the time when this happened. He was 40. Ah, such a young man. But soon, journalists and reporters traveled to Buffalo to find Maria Halpin and get her side of the story. At that point, Maria had read all that Grover had been saying about her. And since he had dragged her name through the mud, she was going to tell the truth about everything. On October 31st, 1884, in an interview with the Chicago Tribune, she said, quote, The circumstances under which my ruin were accomplished are too revolting on the part of Grover Cleveland to be made public. Damn. The paper read, quote, Halpin said that Cleveland had pursued her relentlessly and that she finally consented to join him for a meal at the Ocean Dining Hall in Oyster House. After dinner, Cleveland escorted her back to her boarding house. In an 1874 affidavit, Halpin strongly implied that Cleveland's entry into her room and the incident that transpired there was not consensual. He was forceful and violent, she alleged, and later promised to ruin her if she went to the authorities. The journalist also spoke to the physician at the asylum where Maria was sent. Dr. William G. King, an honored citizen of Buffalo, was then attending physician at the Providence Asylum, 
When visited by a Telegraph reporter last week, he said that he remembered Maria Halpin well. He says she was brought to the asylum without warrant or form of law. When he examined her, he found that she was not insane, though she had been drinking. The managers of the asylum had no right to detain her, and she left in a few days. That is, as soon as she chose to after her terrible experience. And in response to the question of paternity, Halpin was quoted saying, There is not and never was a doubt as to the paternity of our child. We also finally learned the fate of the boy. Oddly enough, the baby was adopted by Maria's doctor in the asylum, that Dr. William King. But it seemed even with this information, Maria never had a relationship with the child. As you can imagine, with all of this information, the Republican Party was grinning with glee. They went to town on Cleveland and came up with some clever little slogans of their own, like, Ma, Ma, where's my pa? Up in the White House, dear. The story dominated headlines for months. There are a lot of articles written about Halpin's beauty, almost breathlessly written like this one. Mrs. Halpin is still an attractive woman, and although said to be 45 or 50, does not look more than 35. A wealth of dark hair and dark eyes of great depth and of strange, fascinating power are in strong contrast to a pale, clear complexion with regular features and rounded chin and a classically cut and curved mouth could not fail to make a pleasant impression on those with whom she came in contact. Although robust, her form still preserves its symmetry, and this rotundity of figure rather adds to her mature charms than otherwise. Halpin released a statement under oath that basically became a public proclamation. It was nailed up in public areas. In big block letters at the top it reads, Tell the truth. Here it is. Maria Halpin's statement. Under it, an article updates the reader as to all that has happened so far. The slandering of her name, her response, and the claims to her innocence made by doctors, clergymen, and other women with clean reputations. People across the country were supporting Halpin. One unknown author wrote, Men of America, Maria Halpin's word is as good as Grover Cleveland's. Women of America, read this statement and demand that justice shall be done to your sex by the retirement from public life of Grover Cleveland. But his honest remark to the press, him being forthcoming with information, was enough for America. For many, this only served to bolster the main tenets of his campaign. Honesty, integrity, and anti-corruption. And indeed, he was elected the president on November 4th, 1884. Even though he did win by a very thin margin. I mean, part of the reason that Grover Cleveland won... Uh, was probably because Blaine. Blaine's campaign offended a large swath of his supporters just days before the election. On October 29, 1884, a reverend introduced Blaine at a dinner in New York City. During said introduction, he called the Democrats the party of rum, Romanism and Rebellion, which apparently angered a lot of Irish and Catholic people. Anyways, back to Cleveland, the president-elect. 
and also the first person elected to the presidency who wasn't married. And if you guys didn't think he was gross already, get this. Remember his best friend, Oscar Folsom, who had died in an accident? Well, after the accident, Cleveland became the exeter of Folsom's will and also the caretaker for his daughter, Frances, and his wife, Emma. Well, Frances, who had grown up calling Grover Uncle Cleve, became a stunningly beautiful woman. And during the campaign and his first two years in office, whenever Cleveland was questioned about why he wasn't married, he would often say, I am waiting for my bride to grow up. Many people thought this was a joke until he revealed his engagement to Francis in 1886 and married her in the White House five days later. Blech. Yep, 21-year-old Francis Folsom married her uncle, who was 49 at the time, making him the only sitting president to marry while in office. And Francis still holds the title of America's youngest first lady. And even still, despite his cradle-robbing ways, Grover Cleveland would go on to serve another term, but not consecutively. He is both our 22nd and 24th president, with Benjamin Harrison serving a single term from 1889 to 1893. Don't you guys love hearing about dates? As for Maria Halpin, she gratefully faded into obscurity, relieved to be out of the public eye. Before she died in 1902, she said that she didn't want to have a public funeral because she didn't want anyone to look at her dead face. I mean, I get it. Same. And I know, isn't it so hard to believe that a president of the United States would do such horrific stuff? What? We've never heard of them doing something like that. And so Grover Cleveland, he was a pretty gross guy. And the following quote from a November 1888 edition of Jingo newspaper posed a question that we kind of have been asking ourselves recently. It said... We have heretofore boasted that this was a land of domestic virtue, a land of homes and families, a land where woman was honored above all other lands. How shall we longer make these boasts if we choose Grover Cleveland to be the first American citizen, the foremost exemplar of American manhood? And from every episode of American Filth, we learn a lesson. And I think today's lesson is be wary of gross men if you work in the cloak department. American Filth is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcast. This episode was written by Julia Criscow and hosted and sound designed by me, Gabby Watts. The theme song is by me and Jesse Neiswanger. Our executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Elsie Crowley, and Brandon Barr. You guys can follow along with the show on Instagram at American Filth Pod. Also, leave a review, leave a comment, leave a star, leave five stars. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. School of Humans. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. 
If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 